Welcome to Education Beat. I'm Ann Vasquez, Executive Director of EdSource. California State University has set a tight deadline to help more students earn a college degree. But it's not the only state university system looking to improve. Universities nationwide are focused on increasing the number of students who graduate in four years. EdSource recently visited Florida and Texas to examine how two public universities are improving their graduation rates. It was in the midst of the pandemic, my last couple semesters, and so that was just a nightmare. But then thankfully, thanks to that graduation help desk being there, oh, it saved me so much. What can CSU learn from these universities in Florida and Texas about how to improve graduation rates? Here is this week's Education Beat with host Zadie Stabley. Nick Robinson never finished high school. Instead, he dropped out, got a GED, and dove straight into the restaurant business in San Antonio, where he lives. I was working as a cook for about 10 years. And then I had a son in 2012. And I thought, I need to go, I need to do more. I need to get a career established here. So Nick decided to go to college at 25. He started at community college then transferred to University of Texas at San Antonio. He knew he wanted to go into the sciences, but he had a lot of catch-up work to do. I got my GED close to 10 years before, and so I was really rusty. So I started off with a high school-level algebra class, just basic algebra, so I could work my way up to calculus and uh, so I could take all of the chemistry and physics classes. Then there was the matter of what he should major in. Nick started off majoring in biology, When he decided to switch to environmental science, some of the courses he had taken didn't count toward his degree. So he was taking a lot more courses. Then suddenly, when he was close to graduating, he was told he had taken too many classes. So many that they were going to make him pay more than usual. I got hit with a $6,000 charge on top of my $8,000 tuition. And they also took my Pell Grant away which was $3,000 at UTSA. And that was all because I had taken too many credit hours. Nick was dumbfounded. He didn't know what to do. To make matters worse, it was mid-pandemic, and Nick was already really stressed out. I had my nine-year-old son at home who's also doing virtual learning, and so that was just a nightmare. And I thought... Now here I am, I'm not going to be able to afford my last semester, and why would you do this to me? I felt like I was being punished and told, how dare you take so many classes? This is Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools. This week, what California can learn from universities in Florida and Texas about improving graduation rates. We'll get back to Nick Robinson's story in a minute. First, I want to bring in reporter Larry Gordon. Larry wrote a series of articles for EdSource where he looks at two universities' efforts to improve graduation rates, the University of South Florida in Tampa and the University of Texas at San Antonio. Hi, Larry. Hi, Zadie. Thanks for having me. So, Larry, how did you choose these two universities? Yeah, I spent a lot of time looking for schools that showed big improvements in their graduation rates. Not necessarily the greatest graduation rates, but showing an uptick that really stood out. 
And I, I went through many schools, got it down to about 10 schools, and then was looking for some uh, universities that had more of a demographic similarity to California. That's how I wound up at the University of South Florida in Tampa and the University of Texas in San Antonio. And so what did you find there? What are these colleges in particular doing to improve their graduation rates? They seem to be doing a whole lot of things. You know, I think the answer is there's no no silver bullet. There's no one magic solution, but they're throwing a lot of different things up against the wall and seeing what sticks. You know, a lot of it basically seems to be more basic philosophical change. Look, we don't have good graduation rates and we really need to work on it. But they're doing everything from trying to and let students know what are the paths to graduation, what courses were needed. It's amazing in the past, some students just were clueless. You know, now they have regular computerized listings of what's available or what's required. You know, much more intentional counseling, much more reaching out for students who appear to be in jeopardy. You know, it's interesting, there's almost... uh, snooping going on where where students are uh, being watched to see what their enrollment patterns are, even at some school, some of these schools, how often they're signing on to the websites that homework is, is done on and, and, um, you know, counseling is done on. And if they're absent, and, and uh, their midterm grades are wobbly, you know, much more outreach saying, what are you doing? How can we help you? How can we get you back on track? These colleges are also adding classes where demand is high, changing classes that have high failure rates, even adding dorms so students can stay on campus. Both of these schools used to be much more commuter-oriented, and um, neither of them are at the sort of the top tier of their state in terms of alumni or or football or things like that. But, you know, they're trying to create much more of a home environment, you know, a school campus environment, you know, which studies show, you know, do help students connect to the school and want to finish. At the University of Texas at San Antonio, one of the changes they've implemented is a graduation help desk. They have one focus on the people who are getting really close but there's some problem. Often it's like one or two classes. You know, not everything is offered all the time. And as you get into these advanced majors, you know, the, the, the final requirements of the senior and junior level courses are only offered once in a while or maybe just in one semester a year. So these kids are suddenly realizing, yikes, I don't have that class. What am I going to do? This desk tries to calm them down and searches going back to the departments. What else could substitute for this academically? Or even, you know, let's look around, around the region and around the country, possibly for an online class you could quickly take this summer to, you know, fill in and graduate on time. When Nick Robinson was told he had to pay an additional $6,000 and lose his Pell Grant, he was desperate. He didn't know where to turn. He contacted the financial aid office and they told him to contact the graduation help desk. So he did. Oh, it saved me so much. His name was Matt Kennison from the graduation help desk and his emails just, he calmed me down and he said, uh, I can fix this for you. Don't worry. Cause he could tell I was upset from the email I sent that I was scared that I wasn't going to be able to finish. And at the very last semester too. And he said, no, he assured me we'll be able to fix this and I'm going to get it all in motion right now. The guy at the graduation help desk told Nick that he could waive the $6,000 fee as long as Nick signed a contract that he would indeed graduate that year. 
and they gave him a $1,500 scholarship to somewhat compensate for the Pell Grant he lost. For Nick, it was all a huge relief. I felt like I finally found someone at the university who understood what kind of challenges are there that students can face. And Nick was able to graduate. It seems sort of small, just a staff person dedicated to helping students graduate on time. But Larry says it all adds up. They say they've, they've helped over the past few years about 2,000 students you know, get across the finish line. It's amazing how like 10 kids here, five kids there, you know, start to add up to a boost in the statistics. Sometimes that requires an, an, a financial boost. The student may say, look, I don't have this money for this last class. I'm tapped out, I'm loaned out. And they may give a grant to students um, for the final push. Um, and, you know, also th this desk apparently looks around for classes that are in demand but are not offered a much. And they also look at waiting lists, which is to the university's benefit because statistically, if you finish by the end of the summer, you're still counted in the federal statistics for that year as if you had walked on the stage in June or May. And so let's let's talk about California. So how is... Um you know, California State University doing with graduation rates? I know you're focused on CSU and not UC in this in this project. Yeah, and that's because um, UC has pretty good graduation rates and CSU has declared, you know, that they are pushing in this graduation initiative. You know, they're, they're all hands on deck to improve this. You know, they have shown significant improvements and their six-year rate has definitely gone up. Their four-year rate has gone up. You know, they still have up till 2025 to go to try to hit it. There's been a few little wobbly things lately that could be causing concern, um, is that the students who came in as, as freshmen and sophomores directly from high school during the pandemic, some of their numbers of retention are lower than they otherwise would have been. In other words, they don't stay into sophomore year which is going to, you know, translate three years from now into worse graduation rates unless they attract those students back or, or do something different. The interesting thing about the CSU is they have these system-wide goals that are across all 23 campuses. It's an amazingly gigantic system. But they also have goals campus by campus by campus, and those vary widely, you know, partly um, on their history, on, on their, their, their student body. Um, I don't have the immediate numbers with me, but for example, the, uh, the goals for uh, Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, for example, are higher than you know, some other universities like Dominguez Hills or Cal State LA or Fresno. And how easy would it be for California State University to replicate some of what you found in Florida and Texas? I mean, they are doing... A lot of the advising changes and things, but there are some things in Florida in particular that seem really unlikely. Florida offers this, this financial aid program called Bright Futures, where they offer pretty gigantic tuition uh, scholarships to students who are academically strong. It's based on their GPA, their SAT, their volunteerism, leadership, things like that. And it's regardless of income. So, you know, you could be enormously wealthy and still get 100% or a 75% ride. You know, California does offer at individual campus some type of merit scholarships, but, you know, mainly California is focused on low-income and, you know, somewhat middle-income students. 
The other thing that is under discussion in California but has been gung-ho in Florida is that a portion of funding for higher education is strictly based on metrics, graduation rates. This is almost mind-blowing. What are the incomes of students a year after they graduated? What has their diploma got them in the workplace? That is one of the metrics, you know. Admittedly, some of it also is socially progressive on the other side of, of, you know, what is the graduation rate of students who've been on Pell Grants, federal grants for low income. Governor Newsom has talked about, and we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks in the legislature, he has talked about trying to have a compact with our universities here, both UC and CSU, to tie some more of it, but without the very strict numerical competitive system they have in Florida. What are some of the big lessons that you think California could take from these two universities? I sometimes think that the California systems are so gigantic that change is difficult. The battleships are so big, it's hard to turn them around a bit. And, you know, sometimes I think that, you know, maybe giving more power to the individual campuses might be a way to do that, less top-down. You know, the, the other thing I think is more attention to financial aid, uh, looking at costs beyond tuition. Some of these schools have an advantage. Rent is less expensive in San Antonio, you know, than it is in Los Angeles and San Francisco. Given that, California may have to pay much more attention to that. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Larry? I just think that the, the change in attitude in looking at outcomes has been a really big change in higher ed in the past five and 10 years. So much hysteria about admissions. You know, you go to a bookstore and there's 15 books about how to get into your dream college. And so many parents are freaking out every fall, you know, middle class and upper middle class parents. How am I going to get my kid into XYZ school? But I think so much more of attention should be placed on how do you succeed and get through you know, and it has been so much more research on it doesn't matter that much which school you graduate from, but it's really important that you do graduate. In the ranking of, of bad things that could happen, the bottom is to not graduate and still be stuck with debt. And, um, you know, getting out faster, you know, the longer you stay, the more it costs, the, the less uh, outside income you can earn. And one of the experts told me the other thing is that the longer you stay, the less likely you'll ever finish. Because as they say, stuff happens and, you know, it's more likely you can get sick, you can get an emergency, you can, things happen. You know, this, uh, whoever heard of a pandemic coming before? So, yeah, it is important. Thank you so much, Larry. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Education Beat getting to the heart of California schools, a production of EdSource. You can find Larry's stories on finishing in four years at edsource.org. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Special thanks to our guests, Nick Robinson and Larry Gordon, and our director, Ann Vasquez. Our theme music is from Blue Dot Sessions. This episode was brought to you by the Education Writers Association Reporting Fellowship Program. I'm Zadie Stavely. Join me next week and subscribe so you don't miss an episode.